stink your hand up, yeah? Perfect. I know you're out there. You don't want to put your hand up. I violated the first rule because, like, whenever I go to church, like, visiting, I'm like, I'm not putting my hand up. I'm not standing up. That's horrible. Um, if you're here, stop by Guest Central. You can do it anonymously. Uh, so this is my daughter, Bailey, and Bailey went through this program called Youth Becoming Leaders at Asbury Seminary, and also as a preacher, I'm supposed to present you with this certificate for having successfully completed the program, so congratulations. Now, what this program was and what it means is it's, um, it's a program for students just sort of exploring what it means to be a Christian leader. And so part of this program is she is actually going to be starting an uh, outreach ministry here to uh, connect with our local refugee community. And we're going to be talking about more of that later, but she's going to be leading that, and it's going to be kind of a neat thing. We wanted to introduce you to her because she's actually going to be interning with the staff this, uh, this school year. She's going to be working with Megan. She's going to be taking over the bridge programming. So if you're in fourth or fifth grade or you've got kids there, you'll see Bailey a lot with those uh, events and programs. She's going to be there. So we want to introduce you so that way you knew who she was as she's there with your kids. And you'll see her more as she's working with Jesse and social media and other things that we do here at the church. So uh, love to welcome Bailey and have her be a part of the, the church staff for this uh, school semester. So I want to pray for you, and then uh, you're going to leave so I can preach. Lord, I thank you so much for Bailey and for the blessing she is to our family, but also, Lord, to our church, and we pray a blessing on her. She begins this internship with us, and Lord, we ask that you would uh, be with our bridge kids, be with all of the uh, work she's going to do with our refugee communities, and Lord, I pray that you would um, give her the insight into um, just, Lord, the way that you're calling her in life and in ministry, and would you make things clear to her this year as she's exploring all these things. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Awesome. Love you. You can welcome her on. Yeah. All right. So today we're talking about fear. Fear is a universal human feeling, and it seems to be running rampant today. Um, If you are on social media, you're probably a little anxious and fearful about your image. Are we putting forth the right thing Uh, If you watch the news, if you watch right-wing news, you're told that we should be fearful of a liberal conspiracy to overthrow the government. If you watch left-wing news, uh, you know that what we are really should be afraid of is an impending civil war in our nation. Um, If you watch the news, you know that economists are telling us we should be afraid of the recession, the coming depression, the inflation, and the lack of people, you know, wanting to be in jobs and these types of things. Uh, Fear-mongering is a great stock and trade of politicians who want you to believe that if you should vote for your opponent, it would actually actually be better if you voted for the devil. If you would vote for the devil instead of their opponent, things would probably be safer because a vote for their opponent is a vote for the evil empire. What that looks like is a little different based on who you talk to. There's a lot of fear today. Students, uh, you're afraid of your grades. People, maybe you're afraid of keeping your job. Um, There's a lot of fear and anxiety running around. You know, it's interesting to me that one of the most repeated phrases throughout Scripture is this simple phrase, it's do not be afraid. It's don't be afraid. This comes constantly. It's a hundred times at least in the New Testament where we have this indication that God is saying, I don't want you to be afraid. And yet we live in a time and a place in a society where we constantly have what we think is an excuse 
or a reason to fear. We've been looking at habits and emotions that are keeping us from fully connecting with God, that keep us away from what God is trying to do in our lives. Uh, I want to give you kind of a recap here. We've, we've looked at a few characters so far. Uh, the Pharisees, they were defensive, and uh, as their reward or payment, they received condemnation. Uh, what did that look like? Well, Jesus flat said, he said, listen, I came for the sick. I came for those that weren't well. I came for the unrighteous. And so if you're sick, if you've got your life together, if you're totally good, then I didn't come for you. And so Pharisees, if you can't see past your defensiveness, and if you can't see the places where you've done wrong, then there's nothing for me to do for you because you can't, you're not willing to come to me, the spiritual doctor. So that's what happens if you're defensive. Last week, we looked at the disciples. They're distracted. They were distracted by their preconceived ideas, their prejudice, by stuff that just doesn't really matter. And Jesus, he doesn't condemn them. He sort of just brings them back. He kind of snaps his fingers, claps his hands, and says, hey, pay attention, focus, it's over here. And he calls them back to what matters most. Today, we're going to look at the parents of the blind man. They're fearful. They are afraid. And we'll see that they also miss out on the best that Jesus has to give them. Now, if you're just joining us, I want to kind of recap here the story. John chapter 9, it says, as he went along, that's Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. Now, this man is grown. Scholars, we don't know what, you know, exactly his age is. It's very likely he's 30. So he's been blind for 30 years. His disciples asked him, this is Jesus' disciples, said, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. See, the disciples saw the problem. Jesus saw the opportunity. He saw that there was the possibility that God's kingdom could break through in this man's life and that light could overpower darkness. Saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with his saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed, came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, it just looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath which means Jesus wasn't supposed to heal people on the Sabbath. This was the Pharisees' rule. And so the Pharisees asked him how he received his sight, and he put mud on my eyes, the man said, and I washed, and now I see. They still did not believe that he had been born blind and received his sight until they sent for the man's parents, and they said, Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? Now here's his parents' response, and pay attention because this is who we're talking about today. We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. So they're saying, yeah, that's our kid. Yes, he was blind, but how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. So the parents say, listen, yeah, we, yeah, we know about him, but we, we don't know what happened. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. The Pharisees then, if you read through the rest of the story, it kind of reads like a Saturday Night Live sketch, really, because they bring the man back in, and they start to argue with him. And if you've got the ability to read the whole thing with a Yiddish accent, it gets even funnier. And so they start to question the man, and the man starts to argue, and they question and argue and question and argue. And finally, they've had enough, and they toss the man out of the synagogue, which is the very thing the parents have been afraid of to begin with. 
Now, just so we're all on the same page, being kicked out of the synagogue then isn't like being kicked out of a church today. Like you could get kicked out of a church today. We, we try not to kick people out of church, but let's say we kicked you out of church because you were really rotten. I'm not sure why, but you know, so we said hit the bricks. Uh, what the, what's that going to do to you? Not much because you could go that direction and hit three or four churches and you go that direction and hit three or four churches on Small House Road alone. So, you know, hey, thanks, tough. I'm going to go someplace else. But back in this day, there's generally one synagogue per town in Jerusalem, yes, there were multiple synagogues, but all the Pharisees got together and they had sort of compared notes. They're all there in this group called the Sanhedrin. And so if you get kicked out of one uh, synagogue, you're kicked out of all of them, which means you're also disconnected from all of the means of sort of social life within this community. And this man has now been ostracized from everything that's going to be happening, which is, I mean, you think about this. This is a terrible tragedy because here he's been blind. Everybody's been thinking he's just sort of this, you know, person who's got sin in his life. His parents are sinful. That's why he's blind. And now he can be welcomed into the community and now he can see and now he can enjoy this in all of its fullness. And they've said, hit the road. I mean, there's an incredible amount of just, just tragedy in this whole story. But, but I want to focus on his parents. Because as I've thought about this text and I've read it several times, I thought, what's dinner like at the house that evening after the parents sort of just kind of threw their kid under the bus? How's dinner go that evening when they sit down and talk? Because they didn't stand with him. They kind of distanced themselves from him because they were afraid. Here's the thing. We fear a lot of things, including the opinions of people. This, is, this was the parents' problem. They were afraid of the opinions of the Pharisees. You know, the Pharisees were known for giving the opinions of the people to the people. If the Pharisees said you were bad and you were ostracized, you were bad, you were ostracized. We live in a, a world today where, you know, the opinions of people has sort of been digitized and it's, you know, we have the ability to sort of rank, you know, where we stand. You can put something out on social media and you can get a heart or a smiley face or a, you know, a something and, and you go, man, you know, people, you know, people like me and, you know, you can derive value from that type of interaction and you can see where you stand. But that's just really a modern, you know, indicator. We've always had this issue. We've always wanted to know where we stand. Nobody wants to be unlike. No one wants to be thought of as irrelevant. Nobody wants to be ostracized or removed for community. And that's what the parents are dealing with. They don't want to be cut off. So when they're, they're put in, you know, before the Pharisees, they say, you know, we don't know how this man can see. Now, let me help you out because the English translation, I think, is a little lacking. You know, they say, hey, is this your kid? You know, is, is he, was he born blind really? Are you sure? Yeah, yeah, are you sure he's born blind? You know, how is it that he can see? I think roughly in the Greek it comes across a little better like, we don't know what happened. Do what you want to the boy. Just leave us alone. You know, do anything you want to our son, but don't hurt us. Kick him out, but don't kick us out. They're just throwing him under the bus. I mean, think about how heartbreaking that has to be to be the kid. As the parents are saying, yeah, listen, this is our kid, but yeah, we, just, we don't have anything to do with him right now. We, we don't know what's happened. We don't know how we can see. We don't know any of these things. I mean, I, how many questions does this blind man have? I mean, really put yourself in this guy's shoes. For 30 years, he stood and sat on the roadside begging, and he's heard noises, and now he can see that there's these little things with wings that, that sing, and he figures out that that's called a bird. And all of these leaves that he's heard sort of rustling around, he can now see, and he likes that color, and he figures out that that color is green. 
And he's got so many questions. I mean, can you imagine him asking maybe his parents later that evening, you know, man, when people laugh, their faces turn up and, and they, look, they look happy. I guess that's the word, and I've just never seen it before. And then, you know, but when you were with the Sanhedrin and they were asking about me, you looked sad. You looked disappointed. You know, your face didn't look that way. On a day that should have been their greatest celebration, it turns into a place, I'm confident, was full of conflict and hurt. Because they were afraid of the opinions of others, they didn't hold on to the person who mattered most to them. We don't need a show of hands, but I think we would all admit that we've been guilty of sometimes letting go of the people we should hold on to because we were trying to keep happy the people we should have been glad to let go of. Friends, it's true. I know I've done it. You know, why do we do it? Because we're afraid. We're afraid of the opinions of people. These parents are also afraid to think of something else, that God isn't enough. I've really, again, put myself, try to just, as I've thought through this text, I wanted to go through this for four weeks because there's just so much here. If you put yourself into the minds and the thoughts of these people, can you imagine being the parents? And now you've got, you know, if there's teams, you've got two teams. One team is led by these, these Pharisees, the preachers, the book people. They look down their nose at you. They tell you what to do. They like to boss people around. And the other team you have to choose from is a guy who has the power to give sight to the blind. This is the man who has, is going to raise people from the dead and has raised people from the dead. You've got a man who can cast demons out, who can calm storms, who can feed 5,000 people you know, with a couple cans of tuna and some crackers. That's who you've got on team two. Team one is the preacher team. Team two is this guy who can give sight to the blind. Which team are you going to pick? I'm going to pick this guy, right? The team that has the power to give sight to the blind, to raise the dead. That's the side I want to be on. As a matter of fact, the reason I'm a Christian, the reason I believe in Scripture is because I really think that if anybody can call their death and resurrection and then actually pull it off, we go with whatever they say. That's Jesus, and yet, the man's parents, what do they do? They say, well, you know, we don't know who this guy is. We don't know what happened. We don't know any of these sorts of things. They choose the wrong side. Why? Because they're afraid maybe Jesus isn't powerful enough. And that's what our fear does. It causes us to miss out on God's best. It, it holds us back. It holds us in bondage. I want to give you a couple scenarios, and I think that you'll probably identify some areas maybe in your own life where you can say fear is keeping you back. If you're afraid of failure, I put this out on, on my Instagram story this week, and I just asked, what are some of the things you're afraid of? One of them came back, it was failure. Man, I, I'm afraid of failure. I mean, I, I, people, we fear failure. So when we're afraid to fail, what do we do? We sort of adopt a an attitude of apathy, and we get trapped in a place where we just say, well, I'm just not even going to try. I'm not even going to do anything. If you're a perfectionist, it's even worse, right? Because if you can't do it perfectly, you know, you won't even try or you won't put yourself into it. Fear, fear of failure, fear of not living up to your standards. These are places that hold us back. The fear of being hurt keeps people trapped in a prison of loneliness. You're afraid if you were to trust somebody, maybe they would violate that trust. Maybe it would cause you to, to experience some emotional pain. Yeah, we've all been in that place. Fear holds us back. It holds us in bondage. Fear isolates us from what matters most. It keeps insulating us into places that are smaller and smaller and smaller until it's just us in the darkness of our fear. You know, these parents in the text we've looked at, they're, they're running the risk of isolating their son so they can keep the Pharisees close. 
You know, our fear from trusting people, whether it's friends or coworkers who maybe want to build a, a friendship or relationship with us, what do we do? We, we keep them at arm's length. We don't build a meaningful relationship with them. Maybe you have a fear that if you were to really connect with somebody at a true and personal level, that they would not like you because they know they would find out who you really are or what you've done. This is what fear does to us. It isolates us. It keeps us in places that, man, we just don't want to be. Fear causes us to make bad decisions. I've never made a decision from fear that I look back on later and I said, man, that was a, that was a really good decision. Fear causes us to do all sorts of things. It keeps us from accepting God's best. You see, God's very best gift to us is Jesus Christ. And he's come to give life. And he's come to set us free. And yet we can't accept it because we are afraid. Man, I'll tell you, fear will cause you to do many, many terrible things. In high school, uh, I was a lifeguard for a few summers. And I'll never forget... One of the first things we were talking about in the pool in the deep end was, listen, if you get there with somebody who's drowning, they will drown you to save their own life. And they said, you know, one of the things you have to do at that moment, if you don't have that floaty thing with you, is you got to dive down deep and take them with you. Because if they think you're going down, then they're going to let you go. But if, if they get you, then they'll just hold on to you until you both drowned right there which is often why in the news when you read about people drowning it's it's groups of people because they're all just you know terrified grabbing onto each other and they drowned each other now that's i think an incredibly powerful example of what happens with fear because if we were to like take a poll of the people that have drowned or just take a poll in this room and say hey could you drown somebody with your bare hands the list would be real short and kind of creepy of the people that are like yeah i could totally do that um you know, but when you get in that situation of fear and you're just sort of this animalistic instinct and you're like, I, I'm going to live and I don't know what else I'm going to do. It's fear that pushes us to that. And that's not God's best. As a matter of fact, that's our absolute worst is what fear drives us to. In contrast, though, we could accept God's best. We could accept the love of God, which drives out fear. This is what John talks about in his letter. He says, there is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives fear away. Fear has to do with being punished. The one who fears does not have perfect love. There's a couple layers we can look at this text. One is towards God, and that's where John, I think, intends this primarily. Is he saying, listen, if you love God, and you know that God's love is at work in you, then you're actually not afraid of God. Yeah, you might have what we think of as a healthy fear or respect of God, sure, but you're not afraid. John will go on and say, he says, fear has to do with judgment. The one who is afraid, they're, they're afraid of this punishment. But when you live in a relationship with God, love dissipates that fear. And let me tell you, love is more powerful than fear. You might say, how, how do you know that? Anytime you read about a mother running into a burning building to save her daughter, or a father you know, swimming out into the ocean to save his son from a rip current, that's love overpowering fear. And that choice, that capacity is given to each of us. We have the ability to choose love over fear. 
One of the most tragic examples of fear causing us to miss out on God's best, I think, comes from the, the person of Nicodemus. Is anybody watching The Chosen? Anybody seen The Chosen? Put your hands up for that one. Yeah, I got a couple. Hey, it's really great. Season one's been good. I've not seen season two. I've heard it's also good, but season one was fantastic. I love how they're doing Nicodemus, or how they did Nicodemus in that series. Because Nicodemus is this tragic figure in the Gospel of John. He shows up at night. He doesn't want anybody to see him. Why? Because he's afraid that he'll be noticed. He's afraid that he'll be recognized. And he's too fearful to follow Jesus. But he's always there, kind of in the shadows, watching, curious, eager to be close, but afraid to get close. And he allows his fear to, to dictate his relationship with Christ. You see this throughout the Gospels, and then you find this terrible, heartbreaking passage at the end. It says, after these things, after Jesus was crucified and dead, it said, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, though a secret one, because of his fear of the Jews, asked Pilate to let him take away the body of Jesus. Pilate gave him permission, so he came and removed his body. It's here we know that Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea come and remove this corpse of Jesus Christ. It's so sad to me because during his life and ministry on earth, Nicodemus would have loved to have come close and sat at the feet of the living Savior, Jesus Christ. He would have loved to have given him a warm embrace. He would have loved to have had a conversation with him. And yet he settles for his cold, dead body. Friends, that's what fear causes Nicodemus to miss out on. For years, he could have been walking and talking with Jesus, but instead, he settles for this consolation prize. And I think it's a crushing, crushing defeat for him. And I'll tell you, that choice is available to all of us. You know, we have the capacity to choose to follow a living Savior and enjoy that life with him, or we can allow fear to keep God at, at arm's length and say, no, I'm not going to get involved. I don't know what people would say. You know, they might, they might judge me based on my past or they might judge me because I'm wanting to make some changes in my life. You know, any number of fears keep people from following Jesus Christ. And the question is, are you going to accept this living Savior or are you going to take this sad consolation prize like Nicodemus? Jesus is alive and well. He's here today, and he wants to have a relationship with you. The question is, are you going to give in to his love or to your fear? Jesus offers us peace instead of fear. You know, think about all the people that allowed fear to keep them from entering into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Nicodemus is surely one. The Pharisees, you know, I think there's, we know there were other Pharisees that believed that, you know, that's too. You've got Joseph of Arimathea, who's this, this, this disciple, but secretly because he doesn't want to be associated with Jesus. How many of us follow into this place? You see, here's what Jesus has come. He's come to set us free from fear. He's come to say, listen, you don't have to be afraid. And Jesus said this. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And don't let them be afraid. You see, fearless, it's a bit of a misnomer because you can't actually be brave unless there's something that you're afraid of, right? Bravery is simply walking through your fear. It's, it's choosing to, to overcome your fear. There's very few things in life that have like little risk, like zero risk, you know, like microwave dinners, you know, um, 
it's kind of hot when you pull it out, but like nobody's ever like been regarded as a brave, courageous soul for making a microwave dinner because there's just not a lot of risk involved in that. Sitting at your desk this week isn't going to take a lot of courage. You know, driving in your car. Yeah, people are crazy sometimes on the road, but we generally view that as a safe type of endeavor. You know, watching TV doesn't take a lot of courage. It's the things in life that matter most. Deciding to be vulnerable. Enter into a relationship. Choosing to take a risk. Deciding to be generous. All of these things require a little bit of courage. And it's Jesus who will give us the strength to move past our fear if we choose to do so. Otherwise, we're going to find ourselves living a life of regret. That's what the parents are stuck with, I'm convinced. Parents, they're afraid. They live a life of regret. Just fast forward with me in, in the lives and minds and thoughts of those parents of this blind man. How many days or years were they tormented with this thought? Why didn't we celebrate with our son? Why didn't we celebrate when he could finally see? Why didn't we enjoy that moment instead of allow fear to dictate our behavior? Why didn't we decide to celebrate what God was clearly doing in Jesus Christ? Why were we so afraid? Years of regret, I'm convinced they had. I'm convinced of it. That's what fear does. It leaves us regretting. Why didn't I try? Why didn't I take the risk? What was the worst that could have happened had I just attempted? Had I just tried? Had I just put myself out there? Had I just given it a shot? Friends, that's what we're looking at. That's the, that's the gamble here. We can play it safe and live in fear, but we're going to be haunted with regret. Or we can take a step out in faith and allow God to give us his peace and to move forward. I'll tell you, this whole series in many ways started as a journal entry in my own, just my own life and thinking. I, uh, it was post-COVID, and I was just not happy with several things in my own thinking and my own actions, and I just, just wasn't happy. And I started to sit down, and I don't think I wrote literally like, what's wrong with me, but maybe I did. I don't remember. But here's, here's some things I wrote down. I want to share them with you. I, I identified that there was a lot of fear in my life. And here's what I realized that fear was causing me to do. One was I wasn't taking enough risks as a leader here at church. I wasn't leading in faith. I was, I was playing it safe. I was saying, how can we do this safely? How can we, you know, navigate this safely? I wasn't taking risks. Second thing is I realized I was pleasing people and I was hedging the truth. You know, I, there's, it seemed like we were in such a divisive time and everybody was on edge and, and everybody was so sensitive and I just was afraid. I just don't want to make one more person mad. Here we are in the midst of, of COVID and attendance is down and all these things have happened. And I just, I got to play it safe. I've got to, I got to please people. And I didn't like that in myself. I thought fear was doing that to me. I realized that I wasn't speaking out with enough courage and conviction. I, I realized forth that I wasn't being generous enough with my finances and my time. Fear was doing that to me. What's fear doing to you? I mean, I'm not proud of these things. I confess them to you. And what I want to do right now is I just want us, us all to maybe bow our heads, close our eyes, and just have a moment of, of prayer with God where we would ask him this simple question. We would say, God, where is fear holding me back? What am I afraid of? What is it keeping me from doing? Let's, let's bow our heads 
And I just want to hold out some, some quiet right now for you to ask those questions. Say, God, where is fear holding me back? What am I afraid of? Go ahead and keep your heads down and eyes closed. And if here this morning you've said to yourself, man, yeah, I identify that fear is holding me back. If you put your hand up, I want to pray for you this morning. If you're saying, man, fear is holding me back somewhere in my life, go ahead and put your hand up. I want to pray for you. I see one, two. Yeah, hands over there. Great. Yeah, I see those. Thank you. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters here who have identified and and have had the courage to put their hand up and say, yeah, that's me. That's me, I'm afraid. And God, I put my, I put my hand up, Lord. I, I've, I've identified some places in my life where fear has been moving me in directions I don't want to go. I've been making choices I don't want to make. I've been saying things that maybe aren't quite 100% true. And God, I recognize that that's fear. And so, Lord, for, for myself and for my brothers and sisters here this morning, Lord, we confess that sin to you. We've disregarded your command to not be afraid. And we've given in to fear. Lord, would you forgive us of that? And in the place of that spirit of timidity and fear, God, would you fill us with the power of your Holy Spirit? Would you give us courage where there used to be fear? Would you give us boldness where there used to be timidity? Would you give us strength, Lord, where there used to be weakness? God, would your Holy Spirit so fill us that as we breathe in and breathe out, we breathe the very presence of Jesus Christ and we move forward with his love and with his courage. I ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. This morning, we're going to sing a song of decision, and perhaps some of you continue in prayer and you say, God, I, I'm, I'm going to be done being afraid, and I want to step forward in courage.